And thank you for doing that. And we are grateful that you are not injured. Praise the Lord for his protection. Um, despite how I've already tried to start this message, we don't have time today for jokes or for stories or for any other nonsense. So let's get right into it. Let me just pray and then open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to have to move pretty fast today with just reading through the scripture and talking about it as we go. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this great day that we have to come together and worship you, the Father of all creation, the, the creator of heavens and the earth. Lord, we worship the Savior, our Lord Jesus, and we worship the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the Trinity. We thank you for you, Lord, and for your, your involvement in our lives. We thank you for your grace and mercy that you've given us so that we might have a life with you forevermore. Lord, we pray now as we come before the altar, Lord, as we come before the throne and as we worship you, I just pray for you to empty our minds of anything self-centered, anything taking away from the glory upon you, Lord. Help us to focus upon your word. Help us to focus upon the meaning behind it and what you want it to, to say to our lives. Lord, help us not to change the meaning, Lord, and, and help us, most importantly, to glorify you in all things. May the saints be edified now. May the lost be found. And all people said, amen. Amen. Thank you. So we're going to get right started with Daniel chapter 3, Finding Hope in Fiery Times. And again, we're going to move fast today, but just try and read the scripture, whether it be on the screen or in your Bibles, underline, highlight, whatever you want to look to more later, because I do hope that you look more to it later. Um, there is so much more. I told my wife, I've got enough pages of notes to probably last three sermons just on this one chapter. So we're going to try to condense it all into one sermon and get you out of here, because we have Sunday school starting today after service, 1045, right, Jessica? 1045. So I'm on a time schedule, but let's start reading, and please excuse the interruptions, because there will be lots of interruptions as we discuss this. Starting at verse 1 of chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, and that's where we start today, is talking about the image we have this great statue, this great image of gold, and it's interesting to know that Babylon is known as the kingdom of gold. So it says its height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. There's a lot of details here, a lot of info, a lot of pauses. I'm sorry, we'll get more into the story as we read, but I do want to just note that most likely this was a statue of himself but it could have also been of a false god or some type of representation of an idol. But most likely, I believe it was a statue of himself, especially as we get into it more later, that uh, he was trying to take the power away from the dream of chapter 2. So I believe he wanted to show the people and show God his kingdom would last forever, unlike that chapter 2. And I did some calculations here, 60 cubits, by breadth of six cubits, would most likely mean it was approximately 90 feet high by nine feet wide. So basically, what I want to get across here is this thing was big, it was shiny, and we all like big stuff, we all like shiny stuff, right? Especially if it's covered in gold. Ladies, let's admit, maybe some men too, if you were walking along a plane, a walking through the countryside, and you saw this nine, 90-foot high, 9-foot wide thing covered in gold. When you stop and admire it? Yes. That's what he wanted. 
He wanted this thing to be so big, so shiny, so covered in gold that people would naturally be awestruck. And they would stop and admire it. It was awe-inspiring. And it says that he set it up on the plain of Dora in the province of Babylon. He wanted it easily seen and worshipped by all who would come near or from afar. You've heard that saying, go big or go home, right? Well, he, he understood this saying, and he went big. King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials. Basically, what this is saying is he was gathering all the political leaders, all the people of influence of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, notice what it does not mention and it could have, he could have just been gathered in here, but I don't think he's gathered as part of these all leaders. Otherwise, we'd see him later as one of the ones that did not bow is Daniel. Daniel's not mentioned. He could have been out on a conquest, out doing work for the empire of some sort. But I do believe that if he was there, he would have been standing with his friends. That's what we see by the character of Daniel. Also notice, this was like a national ceremony. As if the statue was not huge enough, awe-inspiring enough, he created this day to bring all the people together and to worship it because he wanted total control, total dominion, total unity. He wanted to force everybody together to put them to their knees. Let's read on. In verse 3, it says, Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. If you notice it keeps saying, he set it up. Nebuchadnezzar set it up. Nebuchadnezzar set it up. I think that's important to notice don't get confused with the statue of the dream that, the, that God had set up to send this prophecy out to the king. This was something the king set up. He created for his own purpose. They all came. They were all doing as they were told, but I don't believe they knew exactly what they were coming for at first. They may have known now what they were going to do, but only because of great manipulation. You see, the king was going to manipulate these leaders in several ways. One was by the gold statue. He was going to manipulate these leaders by appealing to the eyes. Come before me, worship my empire, worship me as king, worship my false gods, because look how I'm appealing to the eyes and drawing you in. I'm going to make you want to worship me because of this great gold statue. But then also, number two... I think he's going to use emotional manipulation of these people through music. And then number three, he's going to try and manipulate these people through threat of great punishment. A fiery furnace and catching your hands on fire if you're Jessica. King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to bring all these people together. And as I said before, I believe he was trying to take control of the dream in the previous chapter. The dream which God used to illustrate that his kingdom would fall. Remember, he, King Nebuchadnezzar, was only the gold head on the statue. But what did King Nebuchadnezzar do here? What we read is that the statue was of gold from the top to the bottom. There was no more clay and iron mixed toes. 
There was no bronze. There was no silver because the king wanted to take back that image. Now, some commentators believe this could have been as much as 20 years down the road. And maybe now he's thinking through it. And maybe it took 20 years to build this statue. And this was his response to the dream. It just took time to make it. I mean, think about making a 90-foot by 9-foot high, wide statue in this time. But what I want you to see about this statue is by him creating it all gold. He was saying, my kingdom is the kingdom that will last forever. Not God's kingdom. Not the Romans. Not the Greeks. Not the, the Persians. His kingdom. And he tried to cover it all in gold, which I think also not just represents his kingdom, but it shows there is no weakness in his kingdom. You see... If you remember the statue from the dream, it had inferior metals the lower you would go, where his is all all gold. But the joke was on him, you see. Most commentators believe, and I do too, based off looking at other examples from history, that this was not solid gold. It was most likely made of wood or stone and was gold-plated. Either way, it was a magnificent feat, but here's why I like that idea. Because he covered his weakness in gold. He tried to put on a show, but there was still weakness below the surface. And that's just like us. We put on a great show every single day, don't we? We try and look 90 foot high, 9 foot wide. Well, maybe we try and look a little thinner. We try and cover ourselves in gold to try and look almighty and shiny and big and precious. But ultimately... We are all weak inside, and all of us will come and face judgment one day before the Lord of all creation. Ultimately, we all will die someday. But if we trust in Christ and it's his kingdom, which will last forevermore, we can have victory in life. It was all a show. God alone is in full control. Let's move on. We also see... That just as these men of God would be tempted. In fact, all these people they brings before this idol will be tempted. We too will be tempted by false things of this world. In fact, every day false idols come before our lives. But every day we have an option. Are we going to bow before this false idol? Are we going to give up our integrity and our bold face? Or are we going to keep standing for God. That's what we're going to read on to see. Let's read on in verse 4. And the herald proclaimed aloud. Now he's telling these people what they are to do. If anybody is questioning why they're here, well, here's the answer. The herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, not optional. You can't worship out of your heart here, out of your free freedom. They are commanded. O peoples, nations, in languages, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, every kind of music, there's obviously an orchestra there. They're trying to appeal greatly on their emotions. If you like the music of the lyre, here you go. If you like the music of the trigon, which a little research looks to be like a little triangle, um, maybe that's not you, but whatever it is, he's trying to appeal to people and use it as a symbol. 
there was an orchestra, and when they heard this, they're told, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But although he might try and appeal to their senses, their sight, their ears, they did not have a choice. They are commanded. He is leading by force. Now, what was the other option, you might ask? Well, it says in verse 6, And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. So here is your options. Worship this gold-covered statue on one side, or I believe it was quite visual, because he wanted to threaten them. He wanted their total commitment. He wanted unity in his empire to try and make it last forever. He did not care if they were or following him by force or by heart, he just wanted to make sure that God's dream didn't come true. So, golden statue, bow, or fiery furnace. What choice would you make? What choice do most of the people make? It says that all the people bowed before this. It says, therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, Lear, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music. All the peoples, the nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All the people, except three, who we're about to read about. I want you to think, as we read about their actions, what are our actions every day? Do we bow before the Lord of all creation? Or do we bow before these false idols, which are brought into our lives every single day? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not worship the idol. These godly people defy the king to obey God. And that's number two. Number one, we talked about the image. Number two, as we move forward, we're simply put talking about godly people obey God before men. Godly people obey God before men. Now, it would have been really easy for them to come up with some type of excuse, wouldn't it? Now, I think that these men really did stand. I read one commentary in my research which said, it says all people bowed. All people fell down. Maybe they, maybe they looked like they bowed down as they were tying their shoes, strapping their sandal. They were cleaning off the bottom of their sandal, whatever it was. I don't believe that's true. I believe that it's just referencing all the people except the ones that it's about to tell us about, which is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because you see their character. Their character is not one to make excuses, not ones to deny God, not ones who will put on a show. They live for him alone. So some excuses that they could have made, though, and maybe we make every day, too. Let's think about this. One, maybe we think, well... God is a loving God, and he'll forgive me. I'll just worship this false idol. I'll just do this bad thing once, and then I'll ask forgiveness. Or maybe we think, I should just do it to make others happy. And we try and legitimize it. We try and make the excuse that we need to keep them happy so that we can continue our relationship with them so that maybe later down the road we'll have the opportunity to help them to come to know Christ as Lord and Savior themselves. But we cannot make excuse to make bad things good with the hope of doing good things later. We need to stand true now for what is good in the eyes of the Lord. 
Or maybe some could argue or make an excuse that they, they were bow on the outside, but God knows what's in the heart. God knows that they're not truly bowing on the inside. It's just all a show. None of that is right, people. All of these, these excuses are wrong, and we, like these three, must allow the world to see that we do not worship anything but the one true God. And then we need to accept the consequences which come after that, knowing that our God will stand with us through the fire. Through the fire. Notice there's no spectacle or outburst of protest. It's just a quiet and simple act of civil disobedience. But it's a powerful act nonetheless. They simply lived for God first. Don't deny the power of your public witness. Don't deny the power of your public witness because it will be noticed by those around you. And they will either applaud you and they will come to know Christ through you or maybe they know Christ and they'll be strengthened by your witness for them to also stand true. Or the second happens or the next and that's what we see. Godly people will, will be criticized by the world but we must still stand true for God. Acts 5.29 tells us we ought to obey God rather than men. And let's read on. Verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They had a plan here. Most likely due to some type of professional envy or jealousy, they did not seem to feel any sense of of love for these three any, any longer. They, they seem to have forgotten that it's because of these three's prayers in chapter 2 with Daniel that their lives were probably saved to begin with. Verse 9, and we're going to read a bit more now. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Buttering him up, right? Kind of sweet-talking him. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. I doubt the king needed them to repeat his own decree, but they do. And they say, And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Well, verse 12, There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, this really should not have surprised the king. He's already seen these, these three friends and Daniel stand true for the one true God. But Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, which we shouldn't be surprised by, he's quite known for this, commanded, therefore, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. So they brought these men before the king, verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? I think of myself as a parent when sometimes I let my rage out and it shouldn't. When I say, I told you to do this and you did not do it. And we don't want to hear any excuses. Why? But the king actually does kind of ask and excuse why here, he kind of gives him a second chance, and he says, now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, he's given them a second chance to fall down and worship the image I have made, well, good. But 
If you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, it's surprising the king gives them a second chance. Out of all these people, the, all this crowd of leaders that they, he basically said, either bow down or here's the fiery furnace. But here's he, he's given these three godly men a second chance. And I think maybe to some extent is because these men have gained respect from the king for their years of service. Maybe it's because he had known of the envy from these Chaldeans of the Jews. Or maybe the king just wanted to use them as an example to show he was also graceful and merciful. I don't know, but what we do see is this. We see that they were given a second chance but with no alternative but to bow and still be threatened with the fiery furnace. And what we also see is this. Godly people must stand courageously in the face of danger, in the face of the fire. These three men had a second chance to bow. They did not. How many times do we stand true until somebody says, are you really not going to do that? Are you really... Not going to go to see that rated R movie just because of this or that or kids. I've been there, teenagers, I've been there. Are you really not going to go see that movie just because your parents said no? Just tell them you're seeing a different movie. There's many examples you can put in there, but we need to make sure that we continue to stand true and stand courageously in the face of the fire and not make excuses and not bow down, not give in. And it says, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, one simple statement, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. No need to think through the response. No need to defend themselves. No need to second guess their actions or give in to worshiping the king and denying their God. They would stand their ground. They would be men of action. They would not just talk the talk and bow to the king later. They would stand true for their beliefs in God's commands no matter what. They need not worry for they knew God would be with them till the end. Godly people can be confident that the Lord is with us through the fire too. The face of these men is amazing. They could have made up excuses, but they did not. They could have rationalized themselves. When the king gave them a second chance, they could have just said, Well, I'm sorry, king. I... I just wasn't paying attention. I'm sorry, king. I just wasn't sure what I should do. But no, they they made no excuse. They did not try to rationalize. They just said, I need not answer. We have no need to answer you in this matter. And maybe again, that's because the king knew who they truly served. And they were done explaining it. They stood courageously for God in his word, despite the danger which they faced. And we too must take stands. We must stand for God. We must stand for his glory. We must stand in ways, though, which glorify him and accomplish his will. We don't just stand because our feelings are hurt. We don't just stand because our friends are hurt. And those are all good things, but we stand ultimately when we're told not to do something that God tells us we are to do. 
We stand when we're asked or told to do things which go against God's will and word for our lives and his kingdom and his people. And that's what we see here. God's word tells you to have no other gods before me. God's word tells them, do not make idols. Definitely do not worship these idols. This is why they're standing. They saw this great idol made, and now they're being told to worship this idol. God's word tells them, do not have other gods before him. So they make a stand. They would stand no matter what consequence may be faced, they may face, with no fear of dying, no fear of God's plan for their life. Let's read on. Verse 17 says, If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18, But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is bold faith and integrity. This is biblical faith. Biblical faith has the assurance to say, as they did, that I know my God is able to defend me. But it also has the confidence to say, I believe that my God will deliver me. But then it also has the submission to say, but even if he does not, I still will trust in him. Job 13, 15 says, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Philippians 1, 21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And although that was said many, many years later, they lived by that principle. They would not sacrifice their bold face and integrity and worship this false idol or worship this king. Because have no other gods before me. I would plead that we all need such devotion. Number three, we have the fiery furnace. Verse 19, let's read on. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into their burning fiery furnace. It's as if he said, well, I'll show you. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated. The flame, the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. But don't fall asleep on me yet. Look to what he says. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Some people believe that only he could see this force. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt. And the appearance of the forest is like a son of the gods. Could it be the pre-incarnate Christ Jesus was there with them in the fire, delivering them from certain deaths? Was it an angel of the Lord? Was it Christ? Was it God in this form rescuing his people? God does not always save you from fiery times, but he does promise to be in the fire with you, to protect you, to guide you, 
and ultimately to save you for all of eternity with him. Let me say that again. Some of you need to hear this. God does not always save you from fiery times, but he does, not prom- but he does promise to be in the fire with you. I can think of many times, even lately, when I just think, Lord, protect me. Lord, protect me. Lord, save me from this fire. But that's not what we see scripturally. Sure, we see that some days, but we also see that sometimes he allows the fire to happen. But he's still in control of that fire, and he will still be with you in that fire. We must stand true for God. We must stand true to him and worship him. Stand true for his word and publicly proclaim what is right from wrong. Reading on, we see number four. We see the most high God is recognized by the king. In verse 26, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God. Notice it's still the most high God. He's not saying servants of our God. He's not saying servants of the God. He's still saying servants of the most high God, indicating, in my opinion, he's still recognizing there's other gods too. He has not totally recognized God as his God yet. He says, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Mendigo came out from the fire. And notice, everybody else came near. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors, they all gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. No smell of fire had come upon them. You know, it was a great mini little trick that Jessica did in the children's message of lighting her hand on fire. That's, that's all it was. It was a trick. She was able to put special stuff on her hand. I'm not giving away the complete trick. To keep herself from getting on fire. Science. There we go. She kind of tricked you. But this was no trick. This was a miracle of God. These men did not have opportunity to put on some flame retardant suit. These men did not have time to hide. The king put on, put his mightiest men on them, bound them, and threw them, well, tried to throw them until it was so hot that his men burned up. And then they fell in. And yet not a hair of their heads was singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. It's no smell of fire had come upon them. I sat in front of the fireplace here at the church the other day almost all day as I was, as I was preparing for this sermon. And let me tell you, you just stand in front of that fireplace that our lovely Rick helped us build here, and it is so hot that your hairs will be singed and you'll go home smelling like smoke. You can be 10 feet away from a fire and you'll still smell like smoke, but not these men. They were not harmed one bit. What a miracle. And Nebuchadnezzar recognized it. He says, verse 28, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What a, what a flip, right? What a transition. He says, Who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. What an example for us to live by. These servants, the king recognized. He saw their public witness. 
They would rather yield up their bodies and serve and worship any God except their own God. And yet we won't even yield up our feelings. Verse 29, therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. And their house is laid in ruin. Sound familiar? For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. We end with seeing, and I believe we still see this today, that godly men and women will be blessed when they honor God with their lives. They were blessed greatly. The king recognized their God, and he saved their lives. But here's something interesting. Notice that flip there. Isn't it interesting that in last chapter, the wise men, Daniel and his friends, were all threatened to be torn limb from limb, cut into pieces, houses put into ruins. And now it completely flips to be in their favor. Anyone who speaks illy, anybody who speaks badly about their God, the most high God, is to be torn limb from limb. Also, notice something else interesting. In the beginning of this, everybody was forced to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's statue. But in the end, what we see is they were forced to recognize the most high God as powerful. See, God saves his people, but sometimes in the strangest of the ways, not always before the fire, but through the fire. God is still walking in the midst of us today, wanting to do just this. But I think too often, we stop before we get to the fire. And we take the king up on that second chance, and we bow, instead of continuing to stand true to God and his word and worship him, despite the fire being there. We don't allow ourselves to go into the fire for him to rescue us because we give up on our bold face and integrity too soon. We take the world and Satan up on their second offer to bow down and give in to their ways. We worship false gods. We deny the one true God. At least by our thoughts and actions, people see us denying God. Thoughts and actions which lack faith and devotion and trust in him. Let's start with some application if you haven't had enough as we work to close here. We must choose, and I said choose because it is a a thing we need to do. We must choose to be men and women of action and take stands. But remember, you are not men and women of this world. You are men and women of God. So you need to make sure that your actions are glorifying to him. Mostly, and not to yourself. You need to make sure that your actions fall along with or or come along with his will. And not just trying to do your own will. Not just trying to make yourself feel better. Because sometimes we do need to go through that fire. You stand true to his word. Stand true to what he tells you to do. Where do you need to stand for God's will and word today? Or maybe you're the second, maybe you're the king. Maybe you're like King Nebuchadnezzar in here today, and maybe you need to be humbled. Where do you need to be humbled? Where do you need to recognize that you're not going to last forever? But he will. Your empire, which you've developed, your family, your friends, your money, your 
possessions, whatever else, your hobbies, they will all come to an end. Be humble to know that God's kingdom will never end. Surrender your life to him. Or maybe you feel like King Nebuchadnezzar, not King Nebuchadnezzar, maybe today you feel like those three. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Maybe right now you need a reminder to keep on standing, keep on walking, keep on trusting in the Lord. Maybe you find yourself being thrown into a fire. Remember that Isaiah 43, 5 says, fear not for I am with you. Be encouraged that you're not alone. As Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And there's also encouraged, for we're told that such trials purify and strengthen true faith. In them will be kept by God's power through faith. And remember Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You see, even the fires of life, God will use for his greater good and purpose. God will use everything to accomplish his will. More application and then a final wrap-up, a summary here. Daniel 3 teaches us ultimately that since God is sovereign, we must put our faith in him as we stand before the fire. As it was challenged to me to remember and to make sure it's vocalized to you, and I accept that challenge because it's truth, we don't allow God's sovereign control to prevent us from standing up and walking in faith. We need to also walk in faith. We need to be men of action. But we be men of action glorifying God, accomplishing His will, and living according to His ways. Be followers of Christ. This is how we find courage in fiery times. We see from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are courageous, godly men, one, that they had confidence in the power of God. As they said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. One way or the other, they would be delivered from the king through God. Number two, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was courageous, godly men in that They were completely submissive to God's will, whatever that might be. And they would stand and worship only him. They would bow down only to him. We should have such faith. Be confident in God's power and submissive to his will. As one pastor once said, faith means trusting in God and his word. Faith does not mean that we either know or understand what his specific purpose in our lives may be. It means a ready willingness to follow him, whatever that purpose is. Do not be fearful, people. Be faithful, people. I want to end with that statement. Do not be fearful, people. Be faithful, people. We are going to close with a song today by Zach Williams, Fear You Don't Own Me, but I don't think we have it fully prepared. So let's, um, is Chuck getting up to play it anyways? Nope. Let's try that another week. But let's just end with that. And if you want, you can go listen to that song later by Zach Williams. Fear. Fear is a liar. Thank you. Fear is a liar. Both good songs. Don't be fearful, people. Be faithful, people. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for we are faithful people of a mighty God, the God of all creation. The God who, although the fires may war before us, they may threaten our lives, 
you will be in control of that fire and you will protect us through it. Lord, may we be people like, Dan, like Daniel, like Shadrach, like Meshach, like Abednego. May we not worship the false idols, the false kings of this world. May we not serve such people with such ways, such loyalty that we, de- that we lay down and deny you. We lay down our integrity. May we stand firm upon your word and may we worship you alone. And it's your, in your holy and powerful name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you, everyone. Remember, Sunday school will be starting in about eight minutes.